You are listening to the sassiest podcast in the world. Born in the Nordics, democratizing B2B SaaS knowledge everywhere. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Rempo De Vries, the VP of Revenue Marketing at Gainsight. I'm definitely not the person that will tell people that it's important that your community grows by a thousand members each month because it's not. It doesn't matter. Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Sassiest Podcast. Happy that you choose to be with us yet another hour. I think we have a really interesting topic coming up that is very dear to us. Uh, we're going to talk about community engagement. Uh, but before that, we just want to highlight some of the some of the places where we are gathering the sassiest community here moving forward and next year we have a really interesting year when it comes to event uh, the first event will be in Malmö mid of April 16th through 17th for sassiest and um, well you should check it out already you can head over to sassiest2024.com and get your early bird tickets they are available a few weeks more and definitely. And speaking about community, by now you guys know we have our general B2B SaaS community, the Sassiest Slack community. So if you head on over to sassiest.com and go to the community tab, you can join that community. And you've probably also seen now over the past few weeks, we've been advocating that we have the CEO community and the executive community. Yeah. Uh, we take applications right now, the cohorts for those two groups start early next year so in simple terms if you are a ceo or a vp or higher if you may in any of the nine or ten disciplines that we've identified so anything from you know i'm not going to call them all out like you do thomas here but <laughs> give you some examples so let's say vp sales product marketing or in hr and so on you have a chance to send in an application in order to join a cohort that's very similar to you in terms of the questions you have top of mind, the challenges you're addressing right now, the state of your business, where you can meet with this cohort on a monthly basis to discuss in a safe environment, essentially to help each other out and to leverage each other's network. So go head on over to sassiest.com, the community tab, and send in an application. Absolutely. Let's get right into uh, the conversation here. So join us. Today, we are super excited to have Remco de Vries, the VP of Revenue Marketing at Gainsight, here as a guest in the Sassiest Podcast. So, warm welcome, Remco. Hey, thank you for having me. You're quickly becoming a, a little bit of a fan favorite here and uh, Sassiest household name. So, we just recently also had you take the stage at Sassiest Amsterdam. Thank you so much for that. I, it was a great session on actually the topic that we're going to discuss today a little bit, but Today, specifically, we're going to talk about community engagement. Yeah. But just in case there's somebody out there that hasn't seen you in any of our events or haven't, hasn't bumped into you in the past, tell us a little bit, who is Remco? Sure, yeah. So, Remco, um, thank you for uh, doing so well on my last name. Uh, it was <laughs> great. <laughs> um, I live in Amsterdam. I have two kids and a girlfriend here. Um, and like you said, I work for Gainsight. I'm the VP of Revenue Marketing there. Um, I joined Gainsight two years ago after they acquired Insighted, which was my previous employer at the time. Uh, and Insighted was a community software platform uh, and it was started from Amsterdam. So it was an Amsterdam-based or headquartered uh, company. So Gainsight acquired us after we'd been growing in the B2B SaaS space specifically and also customer success space for, I think, like four years, four and a half years. Um, but the company was actually already 12 years old before that. So we had a lot of different angles uh, for community in that time. Um, but now after, uh, yeah, Gainsight is, uh, is a completely different ballgame, much larger company uh, and also very much focused on customer success. I think that's probably what most people will know Gainsight for is sort of like the founding company of customer success. Uh, I don't know if Salesforce will hate me for saying that because they also <laughs> have a little bit of a claim on that. But honestly, we wrote the book. Yeah. I think also the most well-known book on customer success. So I'm just going to say it. Um, and Gainsight has also been looking into expanding, um, I think, the 
tech stack of the CSM a little bit more. So that's also why they acquired Insighted because community is also very much a platform that should sit in the tech stack of a CCO and a customer success manager. Uh, but we also recently acquired, uh, acquired NorthPass, for example, which is a customer education platform. Uh, so we're also expanding our stack a little bit more and our market a little bit more towards education now, uh, which is pretty cool. All right. So that was some about Gainsight as well. But uh, looking at who's your ideal customer, what, what are you looking for? Is there any particular verticals, size of the company or other things? Yeah, I think the majority, we're mainly focused on B2B SaaS um, with some uh, exceptions, obviously also in B2C and EdTech and there's there's a few other verticals that we would focus on, but it's the majority of our customer base is B2B SaaS. Uh, I think Gaines had originally very US focused and very enterprise focused, but I think in the last three years or so, we've made a lot of developments, especially also from a product perspective into also being able to better serve uh, what we call general markets, others would call mid-market, I think, right. and also the lower end of the market, so SMB. Um, so for from a customer success perspective, I think we're now all over the place, let's say. Um, and then, uh, yeah, typically, I don't know, if you would if you would put it into company size, I think like uh, 50 employees and up, um, probably Series A, somewhere like that. And our main persona will always be the VP of customer success or the CCO. Uh, we call that persona Pam. So our main persona is Pam. Does she drive a minivan? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, mainly, mainly, I don't know. <laughs> Could be. Yeah. Uh, and then we have a few other personas in products because we also have a product experience platform. So we also sell to Priya, which is the CPO. Um, and then we have Jan, for example, which is the head of community. Um, and we have a few other personas there. But I think the majority of our sales happen within the customer org or the CCO org. Yeah. Gotcha. And... Uh, I know that uh, now you're quite busy. When we are recording this next week, you have a big conference here in Europe. Yeah. When we air this, it's already been. So I hear it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, maybe you can tell us what, what it's all about and, and what you are planning here. Yeah, it's going to be super cool. I'm really stressed out uh, as well. Uh, as you guys know from organizing an event, it's a lot of work. Um, we're very fortunate to have a great events team that's taking the majority of that load. So I really should be thanking them. Uh, they're pretty amazing. Uh, but we're hosting Pulse. So Pulse is the customer success conference, I would say. We've been hosting it for probably 10 years now or 11 years. Uh, originally started as a conference in the US uh, and then eventually we also added a European version. So we've been doing two per year uh, for the last 10 years, I think. Um, and this year is the first time that we're doing the European version in Amsterdam. So it used to be in London, uh, very UK based, and we moved it over to Amsterdam. And it's going to be pretty cool. We're going to have like 1300, I think we're at right now, um, customer success managers there and CS leaders and product leaders and also community personas and education personas now, obviously, with the latest acquisitions that we did. Very cool. Um, so it's going to be pretty wild. Um, 45 speakers, great sessions, workshops. Uh, there's usually a pen of animals. Last year it was pigs. Uh, I'm hoping this year it's cats or dogs. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm personally a little bit more of a cat or dog person than I think. So sorry. What 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 does the animals uh, like? What what part do they play? Yeah, it's a tradition. Uh, so we always have like an animal pen somewhere. Okay. <laughs> where people can just after a very stressful session on customer success because it's a hard job, right? So right. People just need a little bit of let's say therapy and pet, a, pet an animal. Uh, I think that really works. For All right. Nice. That was a new one. Yeah, that was exactly. A new one. So um, it's usually the highlight when you look at LinkedIn after these conferences, that's the majority of the pictures taken are in the animal pen. <laughs> so I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but it's at least... Uh, uh, I mean, we have the disco helmets, right? So yeah, anything goes. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah, you need, you need these kinds of things. Yeah. And I think Gainside inherently, like one of our core values uh, is basically childlike joy. Yeah. Um, so inherently, Gainside is very much uh, um, about making sure that these event experiences are very fun as well. They need to be educational and you need to learn something, become a better professional, meet new people. We're obviously also very embracive of the community mindset, but... Um, yeah, they also need to be extremely fun. So that's definitely what you can expect next week. Yeah. yeah. And it seems like you also, I think you and I have spoken about this, Remco, but I can't remember. Is there a thing, a shoe requirement? <laughs> yeah, you need to have shoe game to be a representative on stage, right? Exactly. Yeah. So 
it's it's a requirement, I would say, in this case, that you have great shoes when you're presenting on stage at Pulse. <laughs> um, the problem is that uh, our CEO, Nick Meta has the best shoe game of all. <laughs> so as much as we'll try, and I also try to select the right shoes uh, to go on stage, this guy just comes up with the craziest, craziest, most beautiful shoes. Yeah. Um, and it's really hard to compete. Yeah. So it's a requirement that you're going to lose. Yeah, we're really looking forward to what he will bring to the Sassy stage in Malmö in mid-April next year, yeah. where we have the pleasure of having him opening the whole show. Yeah. I mean, Nick, Nick, if you're listening to this, if you don't come with the golden, uh, uh, what are they called? The golden cowboy boots, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll be disappointed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But uh, let's let's put uh, some things in perspective when it comes to Gainsight. What, what can you tell us about the size of the operation when it comes to ARR? How many customers do you have? How many employees and such? Sure. Yeah, I think we have between 11 and 1,200 employees right now. Um, about half of those are in India. Uh, the other half is in Europe and the US. Uh, the majority, obviously, being in the US. Um, we have a smaller team here in Amsterdam, so roughly 50 people, including developers. Um, most of those actually were ex-insided employees that stayed with Gainsight after the acquisition. Yeah. Uh, and then we have a team of roughly 25 in the UK as well. So that's our European operation. And the rest is being driven from uh, the US. I wouldn't say that we're really headquartered somewhere in the US. We used to like we yeah, we used to be from St. Louis, actually. Okay. We had our headquarter there. We still have an office there, but I would say that we're mostly a remote company now. So we have some offices still spread across the globe, but the majority uh, of people either go to a WeWork or stay at home. Uh, so it's a very remote first company. Um, we have like 15, 1600 customers, I think. Uh, the majority of those are enterprise. But like I said, we've been making great strides in uh, in mid-market and SMB uh, in the past couple of years. So we're growing very fast there, which is very nice. Um, and our revenue right now, I think, is roughly like 220, 210, 220 million. Uh, so again, it's definitely a bigger company, something I really had to get used to when I joined the company because when Insider got acquired, it was like 120, 130 people and closer to 15, 16 million in revenue. So how was that for you? Uh, well, my pipeline target grew 17x. So. <laughs> so welcome on board. Yeah, exactly. So it was quite crazy. Yeah, I've been super fortunate to to basically get the opportunity to be the global demand gen leader and do that for all Gainside products, Yeah, uh, which I still think is a, a massive opportunity uh, that I probably didn't have the credentials for. Um, but yeah, it's been a great learning curve because of that. Um, and obviously you have more money, but you also need to perform at a completely different level. Um, so it's been, uh, I think it's been a great learning curve, but it's also been crazy and fun mostly, which is very nice. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. All right, that, that's great. And thank you so much for sharing some of the numbers and putting things in perspective. I think we're ready to dig into the main topic of the day. And if there's one thing the three of us has in co have in common, no, it's not the shoes. Definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> It is that we all are passionate about community and the importance of community when building a business. And I, I think it's not just the three of us. If we look into the SaaS community and all the B2B SaaS companies that we speak to, I think it's a fact now that everybody is moving into this direction. You know, they want to have a community surround their business almost to, as a moat, so to say. What many people struggle with when we speak with them is how to keep the engagement in a community. It's one thing to set it up and have the tools in place and so on, but to have that continuous engagement after the initial hype. That's really what we want to talk with you today, Remco. And hopefully you'll have some great tips and tricks for us. So like, I think before we dig into that, like, why don't you tell us your definition of a community? Like, what is the fair label of a community? Yeah. Yeah. So my definition is a little bit holistic, I would say. Um, I think at the sassiest stage, I opened up with a Socrates quote. Um, I don't know the quote by heart, so I'm not going to say it completely from memory. Um, but at least the quote, when uh, when push comes to shove, what what Socrates was trying to say is that humans inherently are social animals. Let's say so we will always, because it's in our nature, strive to make connections 
uh, and basically have conversations, be engaged with other humans. Um, it's not something that we have to do uh, consciously. Basically, we can't help it. It's just part of our nature. Right. And I and this is basically the perspective that I would also take into my definition of community. So a community is just a group of people uh, that have a similar mindset, similar interests, uh, that basically want to help each other out. At least they feel some way of a connection or a sense of belonging in the area or the moment or on the platform that they're using. Uh, and it's adding something uh, to their personal life. So I always like to say that um, basically you're building communities for humans, not for customer accounts. Mm. So it doesn't really matter if your account, like if your customer like Gong, for example, is active on a community. What matters is that their head of customer success is active on the community because they are becoming a better professional by being engaged on your community. They're learning. And if they ever leave Gong, for example, they'll still stay engaged on your community because you've helped them so much and become a better professional. So I, my definition of communities would be, uh, would be taking the human side over, uh, over anything else. I like that. A sense of belonging and, and a place to evolve yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Thomas, can, can we check that box as well? I think that that rhymes well with, with how we think about sassiest in the community. Yeah. It's a sense of, sense of belonging and a place to learn, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So tell us a little bit from what you have seen and what you've learned out there and what you've basically have the discussion with other folks there like why do you think so many if you think this so many b2b SaaS companies struggle to keep engagement high in their communities yeah yeah so when we discussed the topic for this uh this podcast basically i thought i'm gonna i was gonna open up with three statements um yeah and <laughs> maybe i'll still do that but i'll answer, I'll answer your question first so I, and because it relates to the first one. So I think communities have a, uh, they don't have a bad rep, but they have a bad rep in the sense of how people think that you should get started with them and what the primary use cases for community are. So if you look back into sort of the history or trend line of communities, most communities actually had just a support use case when they got started. From yeah. A B2C or a B2B uh, perspective doesn't really matter. People think of support and ticket deflection and cost reduction and peers answering questions of your customers versus you having to hire someone on your team first as the value levers of uh, of community. And I think that's also been the uh, been the death of the majority of communities. Yeah, because customers they will not come back or they will not even come to your community just to be deflected. If your goal is just to deflect people then you're going to be successful at it. They're not going to come back. You're going to deflect them from your community platform as well. And perhaps a year and a half later, if they have one more question and the question that they originally had a year and a half ago was answered adequately, let's say, they'll log on to your community again and ask another question. But it's not the path to continuous engagement. Yeah. Um, you basically... Yeah, you'll, you'll basically deflect them from your community until they have another problem. And I think the interesting part, or maybe the sad part in that, is that your interaction with the customer starts potentially on a negative note. Somebody comes to you because they have a problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and then you deflect them. So it's not a very positive exercise, which, of course, doesn't build the momentum you're talking about. Exactly, yeah. And I'm not saying that the support use case is not a good one for community, because it is, like... I used to work with telcos. It's very B2C, not B2B, but just as an example, I used to work with telcos who had a community and basically they had a lot of customers that had no reception. So instead of instead of having people call them, which was expensive because every call would cost them like five euros or five dollars or whatever, just to pick it up and basically explain to people that reception could be bad because of other factors. Um, they had people ask that question on the community and saved them a lot of money. So right. there's, there's definitely a use case in support and there's definitely a use case in cost reduction and support deflection and those kinds of things. It's a good one, but it cannot be the primary case that you build your community around because it's just not going to be a community. It's basically going to be Zendesk, yeah. uh, but then peer-to-peer. -peer. So, uh, I mean, you said you have three statements. Let's get there. Yeah, let me let me quickly riff off those and then we maybe can discuss them. So I think the first one, when you're thinking about engagement in your community or at least on how to get there. So the first one is that you actually need to know what you're trying to do, setting up your community. And this is the one that surprisingly most people actually miss for a few reasons. So the first the first just most practical point that we can make here is that you need your community needs to have a use case. It's either you have a vision or 
your customers have a problem uh, that hasn't been addressed from a community perspective, you have a voice, you can talk about this, uh, but it could also just be a use case, right? So the majority of community platforms that get started actually get started with 12 of these use cases. Hmm. Um, and then you try to do all 12 at the same time and it doesn't really work and it's very difficult. And the reason why it doesn't work is because it's been dreamt up in a meeting room somewhere if you're not remote or on Zoom if you are remote uh, by probably, hopefully, the head of community or at least the customer success person that owns it. Uh, and then maybe the CMO or someone else in the call. Uh, and then basically it's, it's reflective of their perspective of what a community should do and what it's uh, bringing to the company. But it doesn't involve the customer or the people that will actually participate and use the community. So it's it's shocking, honestly, to see how little communities get started with customers involved from day one. Mm. I tell this story often, and it's kind of sad that I have to tell this story often, but I think the best approach to start a community is just to get 10 customers in a room and basically explain your vision, but then primarily ask them, what would be beneficial to you? What would you find valuable? What would keep you coming back? How can you get involved? Yeah. Uh, and these things hardly ever happen uh, on both the strategic side, but also on the execution side, like, hey, customers, can you actually help us generate some content, figure it out, help us moderate the community, but also in tooling selection, for example, uh, because they're required to use the tool that you select for your community, right? And I've only seen, I think I counted the other day together with a colleague that did the majority of the sales calls at Insideth. I think we've had three where we had a sales call or a platform selection call with a, with a potential customer. Not, I shouldn't say customer. Hopefully they became customers, but <laughs> with a potential customer that actually brought some of their users on the call to help them vet the platform. Hmm. Okay. These things just never happen while these People, these customers, your users are going to be the lifeblood of your community and they should be involved. But we. So, is there when you get these people, those 10 customers in a room, in your experience, what's the top three things that, that usually come up as uh, what, what they want in a community? Yeah. So, the first one is why do, why do I need to get onto another platform? to do this, why can I not just talk to my CSM or these kinds of things? So you do need to explain to them what the potential value could be for them and then basically workshop that with them a little bit on whether or not your assumptions there are correct as well. Mm. So I think that's that's usually the first one. But then the second is also basically because as we uh, talked about earlier, it's you're actually talking to the human that's going to use it, not the people with customer success or not the company that they work for, but the human that's going to use it. Uh, you basically need to figure out how it's going to be valuable for them. Why should they spend time on your community platform, potentially outside of their working hours while they could also be spending time with their kids? Why, why is it going to be beneficial for them? Um, is it because they have a great voice and they're such a leader and they can extend that voice to other people and actually also be seen as a thought leader? Uh, or is it because they're actually struggling with certain things and can get there? answers solved or you're basically making an exchange with them telling them look if you're active i'll give you a direct line to my cpo and you actually have more chances to talk to our product team for example mm. and get your vision across yeah i don't know but there needs to be some value exchange uh, and i think that's that's probably the first conversation that you should be having in that uh, in that meeting all right yeah maybe we will revisit this a little bit in a while but so you said three statements the first one was that you need to have a use case and the the second uh, the other two yeah, so the second is uh, what I always think, uh, think is interesting. So the second thing that you need to do is basically take a step back from community engagement because a lot of people think of engagement as stuff that happens on that platform. Um, but I think you should just be looking at engagement in general. So it's not how are people going to use your platform, but why do people like using certain things or investing their time in certain things? Or what does it take to get you engaged? Uh, into something. And I think this is this is where I think a lot of companies have too much of a B2B mindset um, and too little of a potentially even B2C mindset, but just customer experience mindset in general. Because when you look at engagement, the thing that will keep people engaged is probably the really creative, fun stuff, uh, maybe even valuable stuff sometimes, but also just the things that drag them in that are basically not not your everyday logins into a community platform. So what I mean by that is it will be the it will be the campaigns like we had a 
customer. I think it was Sprout Social or something like that. For example, during Christmas, they did the 12 days of, uh, I think it's 12 days of community or 12 days of Sprout Social. I don't remember what the exact name was, but this was like a Christmas event on the community where every day they had a creative approach and a different thing. And they saw massive engagement, which is logical, right? Because you're doing something extra, you're doing something new. We had a telco customer that built an escape room on the community <laughs> and saw the highest engagement ever and people coming back and talking about it for weeks and weeks after on the community as well, which is logical, right? Because you're doing something new and you're doing something special. So I think you need to basically get out of your platform and look at engagement as, a, okay, so when are humans interested in spending time for something? And it's probably either they're learning something really valuable or they're doing something really fun. And if it's neither, um, then they're probably not going to be super engaged. So you need to make sure that you create this you know, sort of like recurring pattern of creating these highs and these great special events on your community to keep people coming back and keep them engaged. All right. That was number two, right? That was number two. And the third one is that engagement requires engagement. Yeah. So I do also hope that in some way in the future, we can be Salesforce with all of our communities and it runs itself because uh, that's the only one that I know that runs itself without involvement from Salesforce. They're actually banned from most of their own community conversations. They can't even join some of their own community events, for example. So this is really run by Salesforce user groups. But that is also the only example that I know uh, where it's actually self-run. So you need to make sure that you reward engagement with engagement. So your company needs to be engaged on the community. You need to be engaged on the community. You need to talk to people, ask them questions. Uh, you need to be inspiring, but you also need to let yourself be inspired and join into the conversation with your customers uh, and highlight them and do everything. If, and you need to keep that up and that's a lot of work. Uh, and if you don't keep that up, you'll see it die out yeah. or die down. Um, and it's, that's definitely the one thing. You talked about engagement requires engagement, but should anyone in the company be allowed to engage with the community or, or do you need to have some restriction on it? No, I think you, uh, you, you, you do need to have a code of conduct, yeah, say, yeah. to use a terrible phrase. Like uh, people cannot just do whatever they want to do on the community. Obviously, it needs to be part of your vision and it needs to be part with, uh, of sort of like your tone of voice and how you want people to interact with each other mm. uh, behavior-wise, for example. But I would urge everyone to just be able to get on the community, sign up, have an account and engage with your customers. I think even if, whether it's an SDR or the CPO, it doesn't really matter. Um, I think you're building a relationship between your company and your customers and then also basically your customers and your customers. Yeah. Uh, and anyone can contribute. Absolutely. Are you building a SaaS business? Achieving ISO 27001 or SOC 2 compliance can help you win bigger deals, enter new markets, and deepen trust with your customers. But it can also cost you real time and money. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work needed to get and stay compliant. Get audit ready in weeks instead of months and save up to 85% of associated cost. Over 6,000 fast-growing companies use Vanta to manage risk and prove security in real time. Sassiest listeners get 20% off Vanta at Vanta.com slash Sassiest. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash Sassiest. So uh, when, when you speak to, to folks out there and you said like uh, your community needs to have a purpose, there needs to be a use case that somehow frames it. And I think it was really cool that you said, don't just have this as an exercise internally, like actually involve your customers to define what that use case is. I'm curious, like, which customers should you invite? What type of customers? Your biggest customers? The most challenging ones? Is there a white space exercise here? Or are you maybe inviting prospects? Like, what's the profile of the people that you want to bring to the table to define the use case? Yeah, I, I would say, like, your most, either your most successful customers, if you want to put it like that, or just customers that you know that have a strong opinion on what you and your company are trying to achieve whether it is from a product perspective or just from a use case perspective of what you're trying to solve. Yeah. So for us, that would mean like um, VPs of customer success or just customer success managers to have a strong perspective on where the function, the job function of customer success is headed, for example, and what it requires and whether or not it should be more commercial or not, those kinds of things. Like you need people with an opinion um, and that are going to basically also want to ventilate that opinion. Right. Um, and those, those will be the first 10 that you need to get into a room. Um, it basically, you should 
you should see it as these need to be people that you don't need to ask to speak. Yeah. Yeah. They're just going to do it anyway. Uh, but you are going to give them the platform uh, for them to do it. Uh, and you're going to basically help them uh, guide you through that platform or guide them through that platform to do it in the right way. Um, but I would start with those because those are going to be the ones that will kickstart the majority of the engagement that you want to see on your community platform. Those are going to be the ones that basically will engage the first next batch of customers and then the batch of customers after that. Yeah, uh, They're going to set the standard for what you're trying to see. Um, so those, those I will, uh, yeah, I would interest, um, or invite first. Yeah. Yeah. So how common is it that, um, companies also open up their communities to prospects or, you know, other, other stakeholders, would you say? Yeah. In, in our customer base, it's 70, 30. So 70, 70% uh, is open. 30% is closed. Um, Closed communities usually have a little bit of a different use case. So what we'll mostly see is that closed communities, for example, are very product focused. Mm -hmm. So they're very focused on the development and continuous development of their product with their customers. So there's a lot of product feedback going on, a lot of advisory board kind of stuff going on, feature requests, those kinds of things. And those companies don't really feel comfortable opening that up to the broader spectrum uh, of the internet audience, let's say. By the way, I still think that they should eventually, uh, but that's a that's a different story. And then 70% is actually open. And then with open, I also mean open to all customers, but also open to all prospects. Okay. Uh, or just people that have an opinion on the on the certain area or trade that they're in. Uh, yeah, because that's I think um, a lot a lot of companies wet dream that sort of the community would be a lead generator as well yeah. of some sort, right? Yeah. But uh, then you're it's a fine lining as well in in how you manage that. Um, and um, any experiences when it comes to that, what you need to think of uh, certain things that works or doesn't work when you open up a community. Yeah, and so I think maybe one step back. So when you keep in a community closed, I think one thing to consider is that it puts a larger pressure on your team to actually keep it engaged. Okay. Uh, because there is no outside influence and less chance of basically other people with different questions, different perspectives, different opinions to actually come in uh, and basically start that engagement for you, right? So I think it's a larger load on your team when you keep it closed. Uh, when you keep it open, that's a that's a lot easier. So I would also say that I think that's something that companies need to appreciate. That when you open it up, you also open yourself up to the possibility that great things will start to happen on your community. Yeah. Right. And I don't say I'm not going to try and say that they won't happen on a closed community, but at least like this is where some of the magical moments can also happen, and you can be surprised. Yeah. Um, but in general, I yeah, I think opening up. Uh, a community is very simple. Uh, just people think it's very difficult. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's something that you can just do and you'll be surprised of how little effort it takes and how little negative backlash there will be from opening something up. Mm. But unfortunately, the perception in companies' minds is that uh, they're also opening themselves up for a lot of negative comments from their customers and those comments will be public and for everyone to see. Uh, or they're opening themselves up for competitors to come in and steal part of their vision or product requests or those kinds of things. Um, so I think, unfortunately, open communities have that stigma of, oof, we need to be careful. Yeah. Um, whereas I don't personally see uh, uh, a risk. Have you experienced that? I mean, I guess now uh, that Gainsight has an open community yourselves. Yeah, we see we see it a lot sometimes. It depends. Like if we have an outage, for example, or if something happens that people don't like, or if we re if we release a feature first and they uh, would have seen another feature uh, first, preferably. Or if you have a, the wrong animal on the pen. If we have pigs event. instead of dogs or cats, yeah, I'm exactly. very vocal in the community about that. So, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> I think we, we also see it a lot. And I think it's good. It's great. It's an opportunity for you to show how you would deal with negativity as a company and basically that you take it seriously and that you respond in a respectful and great way and that you follow up and solve the problem. Right. That's going to go such a long way with your customers, right? Yeah. Your customers are, you're basically teaching your customers that you're taking anyone seriously, regardless of what it is, and that you'll go to great lengths to get everything fixed. Yeah. Uh, which is an... It's it's a positive thing only. I like that. So in this in this perspective, an open community gives you a chance to turn a negative into a positive because, like you know, the outage is there whether you have a community or not. Yeah. 
but in the community have a chance to address it. So I had another question for you, Remco. Um, and for me, a community, uh, the definition of it is I buy into your definition, but I also want to add another element. You have a community when there is a two-way interaction. So not just, you know, one side pushing out messages, so then the other one just being a receiver. And I think here is what we hear often from our community. They struggle to have a two-sided conversation or two-way traffic where they it's really difficult for them to get the community to contribute with content. They want these ambassadors, these companies, these champions to share their knowledge, produce content, copy, whatever it is, videos and so on. But they just can't get it done. Like, what is your tip and trick here? Like, how, how do other people do this? Yeah. Yeah, so I think there's a couple of things to consider there. Um, the first is that you need to make sure that your community is perceived as an environment where it's safe to share. Uh, because I think on a lot of communities, that is uh, that is probably the majority of the problem. And safe means not only that people will not be bullied when they say something uh, or when they, for example, are wrong or whatever. That's what most people think is the first thing. But safety, for example, psychologically also means that people don't want to be in a situation where they ask a question on a community and then nobody answers. Yeah. Right? Like there's, I've, I've sort of jumped this hoop I've asked a question and I've not even gotten a reply, not from the company, but not also from anyone in the community. Like that's a bad feeling in some way or form, even if it's a small feeling, it's a bad feeling. So that's also what safety means. So you need to make sure that there is this environment where people at least always feel heard and feel respected and feel responded to. So regardless of what it is, whether it's a, a question you don't know an answer to, or it's uh, just a comment or that you just need to thank someone for, or if it's a product or feature request that you're not going to consider, you should always let people know and give them the decency and respect of a response. If, for example, the community doesn't do that for you. Yeah. Everyone should give a, get an answer. Yeah. Either from someone else in the community, from you, or if you can play matchmaker and, and maybe loop in someone else that, that could be of assistance. Even if it's a stupid emoji, yeah. just do it. There are no such thing as stupid emojis. They're all great. Yeah. <laughs> and here to be a little bit self-critical, I think we need to be a little bit better on this, Daniel. So note to self. Yeah. So I think, and it, I know it sounds a little bit airy, but what you're actually doing by doing those very simple things is you're creating the framework sort of around your community yeah. uh, that makes people feel like they that it's safe for them to contribute. So I think that's one of the most important things. Then regarding content creation is always the most talked about thing, uh, I think, in communities. So I think there's a couple of ways to, uh, to approach that. Um, I would say that the first thing that I would always say is that it's going to be a bit of work for you, the company, in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely something that will require a resource. It doesn't have to be a community resource, but at least someone that owns the program uh, to definitely be involved in with preferably other departments from the company as well to make sure that you have content tailored to what your new community members will be expecting from you. Mm. Uh, and obviously, it needs to be engaging in those two things. And the way you do that is by actually talking to them. Yeah. So what I said in the beginning, like get your customers involved immediately. You also need to do that in terms of content creation because you need to know that what you're going to be putting on your platform is not just an FAQ that they'll read and then they'll log off again, but it's actually something that will, I don't know, spark a thought, spark a response or something else. So you need to give them the feeling that there's something on that platform uh, that they otherwise wouldn't have. Yeah. Uh, I've seen companies start out with weekly CEO AMAs, for example, for their customers so that they at least knew that on a weekly basis, I'm going to be able to ask and submit my questions to the CEO. It's only going to happen on a community. It's not happening anywhere else. Otherwise, I wouldn't have access to this person. Uh, so I'm going to be there every Friday because then I get to talk to the CEO or certain like product events or beta testing things, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so it needs to be content that only happens on that community and also basically that needs people to come back to it so that they can actually interact and engage. Um, so uh, I think that's definitely one thing. And the other side of that is that if you include customers early, they can also help you out with this. Mm. So I always give the example of Gain, Grow, Retain. You guys probably know the community. It's like an online customer success community. Um I still give the exact, they're owned by one of our competitors, but it's still a great customer success community. So I think it's still a valid example. Um, 
they started out, I think, with like 40-ish um, strong voices in customer success. And they basically told them like, look, we're starting this new platform uh, and we want to make sure that it's basically everything that everyone's expecting. It has all the customer success discussions and like basically how the customer success uh, trade is going to develop. We want that to happen on our platform. So we need you because we know that you have a great perspective and voice and you're trying to be a thought leader or you already are a thought leader perceived in the customer success world. So we want you to do that on our platform. And in return, we're going to make you a founder of our platform. So they basically started with like 20, 30, I don't know how many uh, founders. Uh, and basically we're going to give you that status as well. So yeah. you basically are building the platform. It's not just us. You're the founder of this platform. And in return, we'll ask you to share some of your opinions and basically pose some of your questions or thought leadership uh, on this platform as well. Hmm. Taking the load of their team because they were only two people. So taking the load of their team to do all of the content creation work and basically getting their future and potential customers um, to do some of the work for them as well. So that's also why you bring them in early and not try to do it with your um, uh, with your team only uh, yourself. Yeah. All right. So, but is there a situation where you should kill your community where, you know, it just didn't take off as you expected? Should, should you, you know, just try and try and try or is there a situation where you should, well, this might not have been for us? Yeah. So if you've done your research well, then hopefully not. Uh, but if you haven't, then yeah, surely. I think there are a lot. Of, I, the question I often get, for example, is, um, hey, I'm a founder. Uh, I've built my platform for this and this. We have this vision in the world of software. We're solving this problem. But there already are three communities that are discussing this. Uh, and that are basically talking about exactly this use case or this trade or this something else. So do I need to build my own community? Yeah. And in that case, I do think that there can be situations in which you need to figure out whether or not you're going to build your own platform and own the conversation, or if you're going to be that great company that's going to participate in the other platforms. Yeah, exactly. And basically make sure that you influence the, dis uh, the discussion in that way. Yeah. Uh, so I do, th I do think that there are, um, uh, there will be times where you have to kill your community in, and I think there's also a few business reasons. Like first, if you no longer have the resources to keep it going. So if there is nobody that basically is managing the community, if it's just floating around, uh, it's not going to work. So please stop, mm. uh, or figure out a different way, uh, because you do need to stay involved as a company. Um, and you, it needs to be ingrained into everything that you do basically. So I think that's the first. The second is if you've tried everything and there's just no engagement because your product doesn't allow it. Um, back in the day, we used to build communities for insurance companies and banks, for example. People don't like to talk about insurance. <laughs> People also don't like to talk about their personal finances. So please stop, right? Yeah. Uh, there's no reason to keep trying to force a conversation that people are not going to want to have uh, publicly. Um, and then the third, and this is maybe not a start, but maybe a refresh is if, if your community basically is just a really, uh, it's turning out to be a really, let's say bad place for users because there's either a lot of spam or a lot of negativity and you've tried everything, but you cannot fix it. Right. Then please find a way to restart at least. Uh, because I do think that it's it's very important to get those fundamentals right in terms of uh, uh, basically making sure that your customers are feeling like it's... Um, I started with the sense of belonging. Right. That's what they need to feel. That makes a lot of sense and great tips. So tell us a little bit more about how you validate the success of your community. Like, is there a KPI that you tell everybody this is how you keep track of the success or the impact that your community has? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I would say there's um, two ways to look at that. So the, the there's basically a set of KPIs that I would consider community health. And there's a set of KPIs that I would consider business outcomes. So community health is, is my community growing? Uh, how many members am I adding every month? Uh, what's the peer-to-peer -peer support ratio looking like? How many members have connected with each other? If I'm hosting events on my community, how many people are signing up? Uh, these types of things, how many people are engaging with content, answering questions? Like I would consider that community health. Um, and basically, you definitely need to keep track of those. But some of those are also sort of like metrics that you just glance at once every month and aren't the most important. I'm 
definitely not the person that will tell people that it's important that your community grows by a thousand members each month because it's not right it doesn't matter as long as the people that are on there are getting value and are very engaged that's way more important than uh, than basically growing them by a thousand members that say nothing uh, every month so i think that's the first batch of kpis that i would look at and then the second batch is business outcomes because especially in b2b we we shouldn't kid ourselves uh, and basically make sure that a community program also makes sense from a company bottom line perspective yeah i think there's a great number of kpis that are actually quite easy to influence with uh, with community so maybe two examples there's a massive correlation between engagement and uh, retention and nrr or gross retention and nrr if you will so it's just there's so many researchers out there. We also have so many case studies with customers where there's just a direct correlation visible between customers that are super engaged on the community, engaging with other customers, engaging with your content, engaging with your events, everything else, and their general happiness and health score and retention rate uh, when basically their annual contract or biannual contract is up. Um, so that's already one thing that you need to keep tracking and keep and be mindful of because it's also the one thing that will really impress your CEO and CFO, uh, basically. So we, we all want to do that. Exactly. It's a very yeah. handy stat to have. Like, yeah. very nice to be able to have a conversation with your CFO where their eyebrow is not raised uh, <laughs> and looking at you like, what are you doing? So that's definitely one thing that I'll focus on. And then the second, we see a lot of our customers actually have great results in terms of lead generation and pipeline generation from communities. Um, in two ways. So one is just new leads, new pipeline based on uh, campaigns that they're running for new product features or uh, use cases that they've done with customers or customer AMAs or interviews. Like all of these things basically are best practices to other customers that are trying to be as advanced as the customer speaking. Uh, so they'll adopt new features and basically those kinds of uh, those kinds of things. So basically new pipeline, new revenue in the end. Yeah. Uh, very easy to measure, in my opinion. Um, simple integrations can already give you so much away there. Um, and then the two other things are uh, product development and product feedback. Uh, very important to know how you're developing your product and if you're building the right things. Your community can literally tell you that and you can just integrate it to Salesforce and basically see uh, if a person requesting a, a feature, how much their contract's worth. Right. And then if people have upvoted that feature, you can see how much those upvotes are worth, right? So mm. I think it's quite nice to then go back to your, uh, your CFO and then say, hey, I have a business case for this feature because look, yeah. there's a couple of million of upvotes here. Quite. That's a good one. I love that. Nobody can ever argue again after listening to this episode that you can't measure the effects of community. So very quickly, in three sentences... To all the community managers listening in on this episode, in three sentences, what would you tell them? Monday morning, this is what I need you to take a look at when you come back into the office. This is what, well, I would first tell them that they're heroes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> they're the unsung heroes, I think, of, uh, of a lot of companies. So that's, that's the first thing that I would tell them. So this, the second thing I would tell them is basically uh, to bas look at your program and figure out if you've highlighted your customers and your customer best practices and your customer voices enough in the past week. Mm -hmm. Have you talked to enough of them? Have you made sure that enough of them are speaking for you and are speaking to other customers? Uh, have you made enough connections between them? Mm. Uh, I think that's the weekly question that you should ask yourself um, as a community manager. And then the third one is what value did my community add to the business last week? And have I shared that value uh, with the rest of the business? Yeah. And that's either lagging and leading indicators as we just discussed, mm. but it also can just mean this is this valuable piece of feedback that we actually got from the community. And I really needed to share that on Slack so that everyone knows. Okay. Love it. This has been fantastic. Uh, really interesting and uh, rewarding to listen to you. Uh, just want to, to take the opportunity to, to ask you as well. Uh, what would you uh, think would be rewarding to listen to in the SASIS podcast? Any guest or topic that you think we should, you know, have? Oof. Well, what's on my mind right now is multi-product positioning. All right. Now, if you can, I mean, you guys had uh, April, obviously, at the conference, who's a genius at this already. I tried to speak to her for a little, but in general... Just companies that have basically also been doing a lot of M&A or have, multi, uh, have, have multiple products now uh, and how you position them together, uh, sort of create like this platform pot, uh, perspective. That's what I'm trying to do all day. Yeah. <laughs> trying to figure that out now. So that would definitely be a very interesting listen. Okay, cool. 
That's a good one. We'll take you up on that. But uh, with that, Remco, always a pleasure. Thank you for sharing and uh, see you around. Thank you. Thank you so much. I loved it. Take care now. So, Daniel, what's your takeaways from this interesting uh, talk? I mean, I took so many notes here because, like you said here, this one is close to heart. And like we built our entire operations around the community. We are community first and community only, so to say. Yeah. Uh, if, if there's one thing I want to highlight here, it's what he said about safety. Like for a community to thrive, the members need to be safe in that environment. And I loved his definition of safety. It's not just that nobody's bullying you or jumping you because you're right or wrong or whatever it is. It could also be the more subtle things like you want to feel that if you dare to speak your voice, that you're also heard, that you're also acknowledged. And like he said, that small emoji, the smiley face or the thumbs up can go a long way. So make sure that you have a safe environment. That will be the base of a thriving community. I love that. What about you, Thomas? Darn. Yeah. Darn, you took my one. <laughs> you took mine <laughs> as usual. No, but uh, very, very true. I try to do it, but you know, I'm I'm not there at all. So um, yeah, good note to self there. I think there was a lot of other really good nuggets here. If you haven't opened up your community uh, to you know the public yet, so I, I think that's a, a great way of sort of both. Um, challenging yourself a little bit and and show your customers and show your prospects that you can handle negativity you can handle when you do mistakes you are willing to share and bring value uh, and uh, sort of also show your personality uh, to to the broader masses so i think there is a lot to gain uh, of doing it so um, yeah try it out yeah Definitely. And I think I want to do another shout out here. Like uh, if you yourself or you know somebody that's just an expert in multi-product positioning. Yeah. Let, let us know. Reach out. We'd, lo we'd love to speak to you or whomever you have in your network that knows this really well. Yeah. Maybe and you have sold this at your company. Yep. You, yeah. You have this portfolio of products and, and sort of you nailed it. There you go. Uh, would be real. Or, or, or maybe you made a lot of mistakes and then you're on the right path. Would be great to hear from you. Uh, but with that, we are done for, for uh, today. Uh, if you have anything for us, you can always reach out at contact at sassiest.com or you can hit us up on LinkedIn with a DM. And I'm pretty sure that uh, I can say with confidence we're going to answer all of you. So with that, thank you for listening and see you next time. Mm -hmm.